This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey there, listeners, home cooks, and future callers. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is a special sustainability mailbag edition of Dinner SOS. Joining me to answer your questions about cooking and eating sustainably is incredible recipe developer and guest contributor to the magazine, Pierce Abernathy. Hey, Pierce. Hey, Chris. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. And before we get started with listener questions, I wanted to ask you about your own work around sustainability. But before we do that, it sounds like you're coming off of a couple pretty wild long days doing some pop-ups. Yeah. So right now you caught me in the midst of pop-up series. They're calling it the spring tour. So I am popping up throughout Brooklyn, throughout May and into June, all exploring urban farming in the city. So we're doing a variety of different pop-ups and experiences over the next month. You, you Most of them will be on site at farms, having a half educational element highlighting, you know, the people working there and the programs that they're putting on. And then I'll be taking that food and cooking some different bites. Oh, sounds so cool. I feel like this journey began a long time ago when I just kept hearing your name over and over and over. As somebody who is doing great work, you know, on TikTok showcasing recipe content but with a lot of integrity and a lot of thought behind it. Seasonal, easy, quick green garlic dip. <coughs> Separate the white part from the green part. And lo and behold, you know, we've got a print feature with you. We've done social content with you. You know, you're doing pop-ups all over Anyway, it's really cool to have you here on one more platform with us talking here on a very special episode of Dinner SOS. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And I'm, I'm suddenly aware of the fact that like, clearly I am no uh, Terry Gross here, but like, <laughs> who are you, Pierce? You know, like, how did you come into the cooking space and find such like a sort of iconic sort of style of cooking video that, you know, we see now like on all over TikTok and Instagram? Yeah, I'll try to make this as concise as possible. Take Um, your time. Well, I went to film school, actually. So I ended up working at a few different uh, media companies and wound up at BuzzFeed during the the heyday of Tasty. Mm -hmm. And it was a very multifaceted job that really lended itself to ultimately like what, what I do now and really got interested in cooking and decided to reach out to some restaurants. So I ended up interning um, at a restaurant in the East Village called Huertas. So I learned, you know, I learned a lot at that restaurant and had a great time and 
ultimately went back into the video world in a freelance capacity. But yeah, as the pandemic hit, I had moved back to Kentucky. My job went remote. Mm. I was living with my parents and ultimately just cooking them dinner every night. You know, I wasn't doing much else besides (laughs) cooking and and working. Yeah. And this is right when kind of Reels had launched on Instagram. And I think both a friend and I were talking and we ultimately challenged each other to like make a reel. I was like, okay, I'll make like, I'll make Baba Ganoush and, and make like a silly 15 second video. And it was so great because it was this creative outlet that I didn't have to be sacred about, you know, yeah. I could spend 30 minutes to an hour and just be a little silly. And, and that's what I started doing. It just treated these kind of as like diary entries, journal entries of this is what I'm cooking today. But yeah, it kind of grew from there. And I just, I just kept posting and, and was able to build an audience from that. And talk to me about Earthship this collective? Yeah. So Earthship is a collective founded by one of my closest friends and now creative partners, Tin Mai. It is, yeah, an environmental art collective. It's a group of, you know, chefs, let's see, producers, strategists, creative directors, art directors, designers, musicians, all focused around, you know, creating experiences that tie back to the earth. So, you know, we look for pop culture and hype culture moments and try to make sure that within those moments, we're tying it back to the earth in some way. And for you, what aspects of sustainability kind of come into your cooking and some of like the messaging that you showcase like in social media, for example? Yeah, I mean, you know, sustainability for me is so multifaceted. I think when I'm sharing on social, a big thing I think about is accessibility. So that's not only with, you know, what kind of ingredients I'm showcasing, it's, you know, potential reference points to dishes, it's price points as well, and making sure the food feels approachable and simple enough that you would want to cook it at home on a weeknight. How important is sustainability? And sorry if like this question sounds crass, but like how much of the audience is like really there for that? I'm just curious more than anything. Because I, I, something I wonder about with our own audience at BA, right? Like we, we just put out the May issue. It's a sustainability themed issue. It's something that's very important to us. And I'm, I'm very curious like how our audience receives it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do think a lot of my audience has a similar mindset when it comes to sustainability and, you know, why they're on my page, whether it's, you know, I I love to highlight food waste in a lot of my recipes. And I think people really enjoy those things where I can do kind of like a refrigerator clean out meal or something like that. So yeah, I think the conversation with my audience is, is there, but I want it to just be a part of everything I share. And, and it doesn't have to be something I, that I vocally have to talk about. I think hopefully that message comes across in the recipes that I make, in the pop-ups that I do, the people that I work with, and you know, the producers and farmers that I want to highlight. Yeah. And it's something, you know, we think a lot about the recipes that we put into the sustainability issue, right? And, you know, we're so aware of the fact that we can't simply put in you know, meatless or, you know, vegetarian, vegan, whatever recipes that simply check boxes, but don't ultimately captivate people and capture, you know, imagination and inspire people to want to pick up a knife and and start cooking. And I'm curious, you know, for, for you, for these recipes 
that we worked with you on? Were these things that you were really kind of like super aware of your mandate, you know, around the theme of sustainability for this particular project? Or was this just kind of like what Pierce does on like a Thursday night? I'd say definitely a mix, you know, for example, like the, the beaten mushroom ragu, that kind of faux meat base I had been playing around with for a while. And I initially first used it in, uh, there's an Armenian dumpling dish called Mati that's usually filled with a ground meat mixture. And I wanted to make a vegan version of it. And I was like, wow, this is a great base that's of something that's very hearty and rich and kind of, you know, has that meaty like texture, but also can be manipulated in a lot of different ways. And I saw that base and was like, I think that's something I really want to share. And then others, you know, it was like, okay, let me kind of brainstorm around seasonal made dishes, things that, that feel accessible to a large audience, but also focus around some, some sort of sustainable element within each recipe. Yeah. Some other examples, you had a ricotta toast with crispy fried artichokes. You had like really fun brothy beans, just like in their own kind of very flavorful pot liquor. You had a vegan chocolate mousse with sesame brittle, which is super fun. Yeah, I'm I'm missing one, right? You had the pasta. Oh, and the Jingalov hats, sort of like the the ode to the Jingalov hat, this stuffed, wonderful, unleavened flatbread dough that's very thin, but gets very crisp and kind of crackly and airy um, and filled with like herbs. And I felt like that was sort of like your ultimate fridge clean out. You know, the things that are lurking in the crisper drawer come the weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can absolutely. all find a home in there. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite Armenian dishes, Chinglav Hots. And, and I've made that a few times. And yeah, you're right. I think, you know, traditionally it's used, I think there's like nine to 13 different greens in traditional jingle up pots, usually a lot of bitter greens with herbs. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's like really just a call to, you know, pull anything in your crisper drawer, break it down, load it up and, you know, season it well, it, it's going to be delicious. We're going to take a short break. When we get back, Pierce and I will answer some listener questions about cooking and eating sustainably. Hello, parents, homeschoolers, and teachers. Trusty Narrator here from the Who Smarted podcast. Our 15-minute episodes are perfect for car rides, bedtime, break time, class time, or any time. We make learning science and history fun and funny for 7 to 11-year-olds with new episodes every week. Look for Who Smarted on any podcast platform or at whosmarted.com. And teachers get a free subscription to our ad-free version by clicking educators at whosmarted.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, let's get into some listener questions. Okay, hit me. Lindsay in Virginia writes, 
what is the most sustainable way to buy beef? My husband and I love beef, but try to limit it to no more than once a month due to environmental impacts. Pasture-raised, grass-fed, organic? What's the best way to go, or does it even matter? Often on Friday night after a long work week, cooking a steak, potato, and a veg seems like an easy yet luxurious meal. Alternatively, what is a protein that hits the same if I don't want to buy a ribeye? Don't say cauliflower steak. <laughs> um, okay. We'll not say cauliflower Scratches steak. Scratches out cauliflower <laughs> steak in notes. Um, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I don't eat a lot of red meat, but I definitely have a lot of insight around this question. I would say, you know, grass-fed beef is definitely the way to go. Ideally, it would be great to be supporting a farmer directly via going to a farmer's market. Almost every city now has one, and usually there'll be a farmer there selling meat. And that meat is usually raised in, in most likely the best way. You're supporting a smaller farm, which is also, you know, very sustainable. Yeah. Here's the thing. It's like, I I do hear her say like, and sort of nod to the fact that it can be very convenient. And, you know, it's something, it's a trap that I've kind of fallen into with my kids where it's like, I would frankly love to eat you know, mostly vegetarian at home, right? But in terms of what they will eat and what forms of protein they will eat, it's really hard to break away entirely from the sort of like burger, cutlet, you know, and then just sort of like simple roast chicken like paradigm, you know? And so there is a convenience factor there. And like, and this is something that I'm just, I'm highly aware of. Like I've developed three veggie burgers that I can think of like, you I've know, made one of them. They're you fantastic. have, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and and I love them all, like my children, right? But like, they take more work, you know. And I'm aware of that trade-off in terms of like how much effort people are willing to put in here. And I don't have an answer, but I do think, like, listen, if you're gonna eat it, like, of course, really be mindful of how you're sourcing it. And I, one thing I was just like looking up actually on my phone, Doris Choi. Okay, she's the chef at Sylvia up in Woodstock. Have you ever been there by any chance? I just ate there actually not too oh, really? long ago. I had a great meal there. Yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal restaurant. And I I spoke to her years ago. It was she had a really interesting kind of point of view on this, which was listen, like where do you draw the line, you know? Like she wants to support local farmers and part of supporting that local farm community means, you know, buying their meat and like making their meat and selling it to people, you know? And obviously beef has serious environmental impacts, but, you know, it does preserve a certain like livelihood, you know, in rural communities for sustainably minded meat producers. Like, I don't know, it it would be really sad to me if, if Dom at the farmer's market in Millerton, New York, like wasn't selling his like amazing ground beef from his Highland cattle, you know, that that wasn't part of the ecosystem of the farm that he was able to draw on as part of, you know, his approach to agriculture. Absolutely. And buying meat, you know, very consciously in that way, it's much better than going to the grocery store and buying these highly processed vegan substitutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Next question. Listener Brianna writes, I'm slowly transitioning into low waste. So far, I've managed to create a zero waste skincare routine and cleaning products, eventually makeup too. It feels so great to take actionable steps towards a cause I care about, but I cannot figure out how to lower my waste with groceries. 
Now I can't help but look at the packaging of snacks, spring salad mix, etc. without feeling guilty. Am I going overboard worrying about this? Is there a realistic solution? Oof, wow. I think it really depends on, you know, how much how much time you have and how far you're willing to go. I'm definitely a person who practices imperfect sustainability. You know, there are mm-hmm. times where plastic comes into my house and you know, I, I, I don't love it. It's not great. I want to diminish it. But, you know, sometimes in terms of ease and, and when you're busy, you need to, you know, source things from the grocery store versus the farmer's market. And I would say, you know, just in terms of packaging, I, obviously going back to the farmer's market, you can purchase right there. And instead of the lettuce and the plastic, like go for a bundle of kale or a bundle of gem lettuce or something like that, you know, bring your own bags for, for those things. And then in terms of food waste, there's, you know, I always like to start with the largest piece of produce that's in my fridge that may be going bad and and build Mm -hmm. a recipe around that. Yeah, this is a big issue for me, you know, and I'm very conscious of when I'm making bad decisions around not so much food waste necessarily. We have a great curbside composting program like in our neighborhood in Philadelphia. And like any ability to compost is like one way to to mitigate like just waste overall, right? But when I think of ways in which I fail on a daily basis... It's these little things like the packaging, you know, it's like, I don't eat tons of prepared food, but there's certain things that have crept into our repertoire because I'm not going to make lasagna for one person in the family who eats it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like lasagna is like everybody's in or everybody's out, you know? So I buy the little package of decent lasagna that's they sell in the freezer at Whole Foods. And that's what we do. But it comes on a little aluminum, you know, tin. You kind of got to throw some foil over it in order to get it going in the oven. And it's like, shoot, you know, I don't have an answer for this. You know, like I, I'm doing what I need to do to kind of get through the day as so many people do. And I'm aware of like the ways in which I want to be better. And I'm as my kids like consent to eat more things, better things and more interesting things, like I I hope to be able to like fold in some more, you know, kind of sustainable practices along with that. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, obviously recycling and even with with purchasing at the grocery store, it's like look for glass, look for for paper over plastic. And those little things can really, you know, take you far. We're going to take another short break. Stick around for more answers to your sustainability questions. Tell me about your mama's kitchen. This teeny tiny little room was where we did everything. We grew up there. We became teenagers, adults in that small space. I'm Michelle Norris. The kitchen is usually the heartbeat of our homes. It's the place where we're nourished physically and spiritually. It's where the people we love most chased away life's furies with skillets and spatulas. I love you. I really care about you. Those words don't come naturally. But what you can do is hand someone a corned beef sandwich that's the size of your head. And that means the same thing. Every week, I'm serving up a new episode of this Audible original podcast called 
Your Mama's Kitchen. They're available anywhere you listen. All right. Jenna in Milwaukee is asking, I'm a college student. I pay for groceries and I'm struggling to buy sustainable foods on a budget. A typical dinner for me looks like a small piece of meat plus a ton of veggies, sometimes all piled on a slice of crusty sourdough. Sockeye salmon is my favorite meat by far. However, I'm often concerned about the sustainability of my meat sources. There is a Whole Foods 30 minutes by bus that I love going to, but I can't swing those prices, even though I'd rather buy grass-fed, wild-caught, etc. I'm wondering how I can continue to eat animal-based protein sources that do minimal harm to the planet while living off a small salary. It's hard. Yeah, that that's tough. I mean, one thought that I have off the bat is tinned fish. Yeah. Smaller fish ultimately are more sustainable and it's, they're very affordable. Yeah, I would lean to that direction if you want to stay in the uh, the meat or fish seafood-based world. And, and frankly, I mean, try to move away from it, you know? Like yeah. make yourself some crispy chickpeas and throw that on your salad. Just yeah. learn, you know, the fundamental techniques that like create really compelling plant-based meals, you know, like it might take some time and some education, you know what I mean? Like, again, it's that convenience of meat. It's it's convenience of a single ingredient protein that you just have to cook, you know, for just minutes in some cases to arrive at something that's pretty great. But yeah, it certainly comes at a cost in every sense. Um, Yeah. I mean, for the people who are, you know, ultimately saying that it is the fastest to cook, you know, these meat-based proteins, I think a can of beans can be prepared in the same amount of time that it takes to cook a piece of meat and, you know, with, with simple messing in it, instead of that sourdough toast that she's making with some meat, she can make, you know, a quick chickpea salad, you know, with mustard or mayo, jarred artichokes, some capers, you know, maybe some fresh herbs you want to throw in there. And all of a sudden you have a super flavorful, hearty, fresh bean toast. Agreed. My brain went back to your ricotta toast from the May issue. And I mean, just like, what meat do you, do you possibly need there? You have this like pillowy blanket of ricotta slathered all over your toast, plus like these crispy, briny, pickly, wonderful artichoke pieces. And yeah, I, I think sometimes it just it involves like just training yourself to be a slightly different cook. And I know that's like a little bit of like a, <laughs> of like a cop out of an answer, but um the fact is like, listen, would I cook a steak to like have like leftover steak for four days? I mean, not really. You know, like steak is kind of great in the moment. Maybe you'll enjoy eating it like the next day in a salad. Whereas like you take like those beans and those beans are going to be, they're going to love you on day one. They're going to love you on day five, you know? Even more so probably. Even more. And it involves like just kind of rejiggering a few synapses, you know, to really kind of like look for solutions outside of what you're familiar with. Absolutely. And, you know, one of those two is, is, is building the right pantry for it. And there's so many things that you can buy that can be super quick flavor enhancers for any plant-based, veggie-based, bean-based dinner that you want that, again, can really have you cut down on time and have, you know, a super flavorful meal um, just like that. Yeah. Uh, well, um, all right. I think this this might be our last question here. 
This is definitely from a listener and definitely not from our sound engineer, Jake. (laughs) Hi, Dinner SOS. I've been a vegan for around seven years. Had no idea. Really? Jake's vegan? It never came up. Um, And I went in that direction because because of a few things. One, I can. I can eat just about anything and I'm always down for weird vegan stuff. Two, to try and reduce my carbon footprint and be a bit greener. Not that it's all up to us consumers, but I felt inspired and was able to, so I did. I've discovered that tofu really agrees with me the most out of vegan protein options, so I eat a good bit of it. But now I'm wondering about the monocropification of things like soy. Is factory farming equally unsustainable, or is there something I can do to mitigate my consumption of monocrops? Is this even a problem, or am I overthinking it? LOL. <laughs> <laughs> Signed, wow. definitely not Jake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, like monoculture and farming is a, is a huge issue. And, you know, sadly, our government is incentivizing farmers to grow at a much larger scale. And, Inherently because of that, soil is losing its nutritional value. They're having to ultimately add in potentially chemicals or fertilizers to get the soil's pH back or the nitrogen levels back, whatever it may be. I think, you know, in terms of luckily we're in New York where, you know, we can find some really good soy, some organic soy. There's a, an amazing tofu shop in Chinatown that's making their own tofu in their own soy milk. And it's absolutely incredible. I love to go down there. But yeah, I would say, you know, like you can make tofu with chickpeas. You can make tofu with other legumes as well. Test your hand at that. But I would say, yeah, to mitigate that again, it's it's supporting small farmers. Ultimately, these larger brands and these monocultures are not going to go away because of the sheer power that they have politically. But if we can, you know, support even co-ops or, you know, find ways for small farmers to join co-ops to have that same power that these monoculture farms have, then ultimately we can be supporting smaller farmers and hopefully making the access to their food much easier for everyone in the U.S. Mm -hmm. We think about tofu as this like end product, but not so much of like the inputs that go into it, or at least I'm speaking personally, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm I'm recalling there was like a local tofu producer in the... (laughs) area of Oberlin College where we got this great local tofu, you know, like 20 plus years ago when I was cooking there um, in one of the food co-ops. And um, there are certain companies, you know, whose soy products, like at least like, you know, that are distributed nationally, like Hodo Soy, you know, they really put an emphasis on quality. Point being, I can use that tofu more like I do meat, which is to say like somewhat sparingly in my diet, I appreciate it for what it is, but I don't rely on it. To, to eat it all the time. And I feel like Jake's just got to diversify his 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 protein sources here, you know? Like he's got to get down with legumes. Like I'm a little disappointed, Jake, to be totally honest. I feel like you of all people would be leading the charge on this. I think having just like a mix and a range of things in your diet is just, it's just so much more interesting, like as, as someone who eats, let alone as someone who cooks, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think ultimately, too, if if you are someone who likes tofu, like, you know, these other legumes are not too far off in flavor wise. And, you know, if you have a favorite tofu recipe, try that same recipe out on a different legume. And I'm sure you'll be pretty pleased. Yeah, totally. Make like mapo chickpeas, 
you know, cook some lentils till they're tender, but like al dente, and then like stir fry them, you know? Like there are no rules here. Things are more versatile than you might think, you know, but you just have to kind of like reframe your understanding of, of, of you know, what the product is and, and what it's capable of. All right. Well, listen, Pierce, this was really fun. It's been cool to talk shop with you. And it's really cool that so much thought is going into all of the things that you're you're showcasing day to day and in social. Best of luck with this amazing sounding series. And I hope to be able to go to one before too long. It would be fun to maybe actually meet you like in person someday. <laughs> yeah, this has been such a pleasure, such a treat. Thank you so much for reaching out. If you have a dinner emergency or just a quick question, write to us at dinnersos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. You can find the recipes featured on today's episode, plus the rest of the Bon Appetit recipe archive on the new Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Dinner SOS is a Condé Nast Entertainment original podcast. I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-host this week is Pierce Abernathy. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Leah Kasher is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our engineer. Next week, the incredible Hetty McKinnon joins me to help a listener get more protein into her weeknight dinners. We like your tofus and your stir fries and stuff, which I know can be a little quick, but I feel like that's kind of where my expertise ends on like how to get more protein in my diet. Even the other day, like I brought in these like wonderful baked goods into the sound booth, you know, and like, of course, none of them were vegan. And like Jake was just like looking at me with his big puppy dog sound engineer eyes. Hey, listeners, Chris Morocco here. If you find yourself in a dinner crisis, the Epicurious app comes to the rescue. Not only will you unlock over 50,000 recipes from Bon Appetit and Epicurious, but you'll also receive daily personalized recommendations based on your unique preferences and dietary needs. Head to the Apple App Store and download the Epicurious app to kickstart your seven-day free trial today. Don't miss out on this culinary adventure. Start your free trial and let the Epicurious app be your kitchen hero. Happy cooking.